Welcome to The Week Ahead in Russia, a Radio Free Europe podcast on developments in Russia, its war against Ukraine, and its relations with the rest of the world. I'm Steve Gutterman, editor for Russia, Ukraine, and Belarus in the Central Newsroom at RFERL and author of The Week in Russia newsletter. This week's podcast is about what's happening in Russia ahead of the campaign for the presidential election that's due to be held in March, and in which President Vladimir Putin, barring some very unexpected development, will be handed a new six-year term that would extend his rule until 2030. And my guest today on The Week Ahead in Russia is Andras Tosifra, a New York-based political analyst who's currently a fellow with the Eurasia Program, the Foreign Policy Research Institute, or FPRI, and a regular contributor to the Institute's Bear Market Brief. Thanks very much for joining me today, Andras. Thank you for having me. All right. It's great to have you on the show again. Now, in a way, I hate to focus on a Russian election uh, because for, for decades now, the, the basic results of Russian elections have been a foregone conclusion. Putin has not yet announced plans to secure a new term in the vote due in March. Uh, he's expected to do that uh, within about two weeks after the election date is officially announced and the campaign formally begins. But it seems certain that he will run, and given factors including extensive state control over the media, the systematic crushing of the opposition, and the scope for cheating, uh, if he does run, he will win. Uh, But let me ask you, Andras, you're an expert who, maybe more than anyone I know, uh, follows what, for lack of another word, I will call political developments in Russia, from the nationwide situation down to local elections, uh, local issues, local local protests, uh, and, and sort of the mood uh, across Russia. And you have a report coming out soon for FPRI that touches on some of the issues and, and conflicts uh, that will affect the 2024 election. Now, one, one broad question, uh, and one that's more specific. The broad question is basically, how meaningful is this election? How meaningful will it be? And what will you be watching as the campaign uh, plays out? And more specifically, does Putin have any cause for concern about the potential results? Yes, yeah, so good morning again, or good evening, good afternoon, wherever you are uh, listening to this podcast. Uh, I don't think that Putin has any uh, real concern about the results. Uh, however, uh, we know that there is always a price to get a specific result. And, uh, you know, let me unpack this a little bit. So um, we like to think of... Uh, elections in autocracies as mere theaters, and to a large extent they are that. But uh, within Russia, elections have always, even under Putin, played a role of legitimizing uh, the uh, ruling regime, and elections do this in various ways. Uh, They do this by uh, showing how much support the system either has or can uh, engineer for a certain result. And uh, also by showcasing its uh, sort of coercive capacity. Uh, 
because elections do not take place in a vacuum. Elections take place uh, in uh, real-life circumstances uh, when people are facing uh, specific issues that they are allocating uh, either blame or praise for. Uh, they, uh, even in Russia, use uh, elections to sort of send signals to uh, the to the regime uh, on various levels, depending on uh, the uh, depending on, on on the on the election uh, that we're talking about. So, while I wouldn't uh, obviously uh, advise anyone to analyze the electoral campaign uh, before the 2024 presidential elections in Russia, as uh, as you would. Uh, an electoral campaign before a presidential election in a democracy, it is still um, worth analyzing because there are issues and uh, there are uh, concerns in the Kremlin, as we can see from uh, some of the, uh, the the policy actions that they have taken. And I'm going to talk about these in a minute. But if you just look at the bigger picture, then um, I, I'd say that for years now, we have been talking about the 2024 problem, which uh, you know was that uh, after the uh, uh, annulment of uh, uh, the effective annulment of his presidential term count in uh, the 2020 uh, constitutional reform, Putin received uh, an opportunity to run uh, again twice for the presidency for two six-year terms, once in 2024 and once in 2030, if he so wishes, and of course, if the circumstances so wish. Uh, so um, it would have appeared in 2022 that with the invasion of uh, the full-scale invasion of Ukraine, uh, the uh, the president, the regime, aimed to solve this 20, the, the, the 2024 problem by uh, sort of in engineering enough uh, support with a successful war, with a successful invasion uh, that would propel, that would, that would have would have left no um, questions about uh, uh, Putin's uh, quote-unquote re-election in 2024. Now, we know that this has not exactly panned out the way uh, the Kremlin probably uh, wanted it, but it is, but, but, but since then, uh, the Kremlin has adjusted in uh, several ways. So first of all, uh, there is a change that we have seen a changing narrative of the war uh, from, you know, the initial special military operation, which uh, is, uh, of course, uh, as an expression, still in use uh, in the official rhetoric of the regime, but has also been uh, increasingly supplanted by uh, a the framing of uh, the war as a larger conflict between Russia and the West, uh, which is a which is mostly about values. Uh, we've seen this ultra conservative turn uh, in Russia. There is uh, uh, a, a quite fresh ban on uh, the global LGBTQ movement. It's a you know rather. Uh, uh, Difficult to grasp what uh, the me uh, what the Kremlin means by it, but of course it's a signaling uh, of uh, the official regime ideology and the political orthodoxy defined by the regime, to, uh, moving in a, an ultra conservative um, direction. Uh, we have now uh, seen increasing uh, increasing 
talk about uh, uh, restrictive abortion legislation, for instance, and, you know, just in general, uh, the diatribes against the decadent West, uh, the uh, position of Russia as uh, a sort of a beacon against uh, uh, the global liberal forces has intensified. So the, the conflict itself, the war itself, Russia's war itself in Ukraine has been increasingly depicted as a global conflict. Um, at the same time, within Russia, and uh, this has this was inc this was especially uh, obvious and evident in the uh, campaign of the 2023 regional and local elections, the war has been reduced to uh, uh, again the uh, in the rhetoric of the regime towards voters as something inevitable. Uh, something that, but 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 also something that happens in the background, that does not really affect uh, the lives of ordinary Russians, at least directly. Now, I would like to emphasize directly because uh, obviously, in many uh, indirect ways, uh, the war has been affecting ordinary Russians, and there is no evidence that I am aware of that would suggest that Russians are not responding to. Um, to economic incentives or negative economic incentives. So, for instance, inflation, uh, rising inflation, or uh, falling living standards, uh, or uh, if you're talking about different incentives, not economic ones, but uh, social incentives such as the effects of uh, military mobilization, either the threat of a looming second uh, military mobilization, or uh, the the effects of the 2022 mobilization um, of of uh, you know Russians who were uh, mobilized in September 2022 or after September 2022 and still haven't been rotated out of Ukraine. We see that these are creating uh, dissatisfaction and dissatisfaction that the Kremlin is acutely aware of and is uh, concerned about. And uh, so when we review some of the policy decisions over the past couple of months, we see that uh, inflation is front and center uh, and um, uh, there are various ad hoc decisions uh, ranging from uh, ranging from export bans to um, uh, trying to uh, sort of domestically control the prices of certain articles that uh, that, that the Kremlin has been taking or is asking uh, regional leaders to take uh, in order to dampen the effects of the social effects of these issues. Now, for instance, of course, this does not mean by default that as long as these effects are there, people are going to blame Putin for it, or they are going to blame the war for it. Um, I have, uh, I'm aware of, uh, of, uh, of, of, of research that it, it has tried to uh, sort of a certain uh, to what extent uh, people connect these issues. And uh, uh, just uh, a couple of days ago, I have. Uh, seen a fantastic uh, presentation uh, at uh, uh, the ACES conference by uh, Henry Hale, Professor Henry Hale um, from George Washington University that uh, suggested that there is a certain connection uh, in uh, the minds of voters, but uh, that doesn't say anything about blame allocation. So uh, who, whom do people think uh, 
is responsible for these conditions and uh, what way out what is the way out that they see what, what what would they want to change so this feeds back to the I think what is the core question of these elections uh, we from here uh, where we are you and I uh, from the West uh, it, it so for us it it's it, uh, very often might seem obvious that Putin uh, represents the war. Uh, but as far as, as far as I can tell from, uh, again, survey results uh, and uh, just the, uh, the, the critique of the war that we have, the, the types of critique of the war uh, that we have seen in Russia over the past year, uh, in Russia this is not obvious. Uh, there are many people in Putin's coalition uh, who... Uh, are not enthusiastic supporters of the war, and also there are many war supporters who are not enthusiastic supporters of of Putin, um, or even uh, would rather see someone else, or would rather see the the war uh, conducted in a different way, uh, or are blaming Putin personally uh, for the uh, the lack of success in the war. So this is. Um, it, this is this, this is I think for the regime this is both a uh, an opportunity and a risk an opportunity in the sense that um, it, it it opens up a um, what uh, we know from reporting on how the uh, on how the Kremlin is uh, um, preparing for the war a a sort of uh, neutralized campaign which focuses as did the 2023 uh, local and regional elections campaigns on domestic issues and social aid on opportunities uh, that uh, arose uh, ostensibly from the war in terms of uh, of uh, uh, you know for instance a very low unemployment which again is a buzzword that uh, uh, the Russian authorities have been using it's not necessarily a good thing economically but uh, it's certainly you know it's something that that, that rhymes with that, that resonates with voters um, and at the same time, it opens up the the opportunity for critics of the war uh, who are pro-war or who do not question uh, the war the war effort. So we have seen, for instance, um, uh, uh, several sorts of these protests. So uh, one obvious. Uh, um, critique is the nationalist critique, the uh, the sort of the extremist critique, uh, which. Uh, uh, we have seen the uh, in the mutiny of, of Prigozhin, for instance, but even afterwards, even after his death, uh, we now see Igor Girkin, uh, one of the uh, most uh, one of the most uh, popular sort of Z influencers, war bloggers, who himself, of course, was a war participant. Uh, saying that he will run for president and he will do so on a sort of an extremist nationalist ticket. Um, and on the other hand, we see uh, protests of uh, protests by the uh, the relatives, the loved ones of uh, mobilized uh, soldiers who uh, criticize the war effort because it it uh, means that their loved ones are not related out of uh, the war zone, and. For the Kremlin, this is an awkward. This like uh, b both of both of these are awkward um, uh, critiques because they 
uh, do not question the war itself, but they do tap into, um, you know, into into dissatisfaction with how the war is prosecuted, how the war is going. So. Um, it, it, this is the dilemma. This is the dilemma that uh, the Kremlin uh, is facing, and we can, you know, if, if we can, we can also obviously talk about the uh, the structural elements of politics, uh, which I think are uh, significantly more uh, in place. Uh, these are the when we talk about the structural elements, we talk about the Kremlin's control over institutions that they can use to engineer the results that they want. Um, to me, the 2023 regional municipal elections showed that, uh, by and large, the Kremlin is um, in control of these institutions and uh, uh, is actively trying, of course, to reduce the costs by introducing elements uh, such as, or, or, or rather, expanding elements such as online voting, uh, which uh, uh, is, is an easier way potentially to engineer results because it does not always it, it, it requires the active cooperation of significantly fewer people uh, it's more centrally administered and uh, of course these um, these attempts to sort of bypass local power brokers and 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 uh, and officials that the Kremlin had traditionally used to um, rely on to engineer the results uh, this might create tensions and maybe it is already creating tensions but i don't see this panning out in the context of the presidential elections so um in a nutshell or in a rather big nutshell uh so to say uh this is the lay of the land as i see it uh five months before the vote all right thanks very much Andres. um a great uh, the way you i think you know gave a, a really good um Kind of uh, summary of 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 the of the situation, but also the the background going back to, you know, when when I remember writing stories about you know Putin's twenty twenty four problem, um, you know how is he going to deal with that? Uh, and this was probably even before twenty twenty when when as you said, uh, he pushed through these um, constitutional amendments that there were, I think hundreds of them, but essentially the main one was was the amendment that. Um, erased term or erased his his previous terms in terms of term limits. Sorry, that's a lot of use of the word term, but um, allowing him, as you mentioned, to run um, you know next year and then again in twenty thirty. So, um, but also you know your your mention of the the war as the initial. Uh, I guess the initial goal, or at least one of the initial goals, you know, was to was to set it up so that he would just be essentially wildly popular um, ahead of the election uh, by by subjugating Ukraine. I mean, um, so and, and and that that did not happen, and so now he's in a way faced with the twenty twenty four problem again. As you say, um, uh, you know, <laughs> you know, again the the, the results are. are to some degree, a, a, a foregone conclusion. Um, but um, I just one one thing I wanted to ask you about uh, is you, you know you mentioned quite a bit about how you know how the war is playing into this uh, um, ahead of ahead of the election and ahead of the formal campaign uh, and there's some of the challenges I guess that 
that the Kremlin faces, you know, from both sides. You mentioned the the um, you know, the nationalists, extremists uh, who who don't like the way the war is going, um, and the people, mostly relatives of of soldiers, who uh, don't like it either because their um, you know their their family members are, are being sent to war and not not coming back uh, or not being rotated out if they do survive. Um, so I, I guess the question would be, um, how will the, you know, and obviously the, the Kremlin is trying to suppress protests, um, but, but the question, my question, I guess, is how do you think the war will be treated in the campaign? Um, I mean, would it be, you know, you, you said, I think that, not everyone associates Putin with with the war. Do you think it would the Kremlin will try to have him kind of be the face as as he has been of you know be talking about uh, what he's portraying as a kind of a civilizational conflict with the West and a fight for Russia's survival uh, against what he claims, but in fact is a non-existent uh, Western effort to to destroy Russia, essentially, and to to, to cancel its culture. Um, so do you think the Kremlin will have Putin focus on that while, while trying to kind of, um, I don't know, blame blame others for for the small for the small things or not small, but the things that are going wrong with the war for Russia? And in fact, just the relations with Ukraine while, while leaving, I guess, Putin to um, to talk about, you know, global things. I Last week, I believe he had a speech in which he said that Russia's saving the world. You know, things like that. Uh, sorry, that so that's just a conjecture, but just wondering how you think the war will be portrayed in this campaign. Uh, so, I believe that uh, there is a bit of a the Kremlin is in a bit of a bind here because uh, again, engineering the results is probably not going to be too hard with the all the administrative control that 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 uh, the authorities currently have um but you know as as we both mentioned uh, the election is uh, meant to be both a uh, grand um uh, declaration of support for both uh, Putin and the war. It, and I think the second one is also important uh, uh, for the authorities, uh, given that there is currently no uh, other domestic political vision available uh, in you know Putin's toolbox. That is uh, for the uh, to offer to to offer to Russian voters. So uh, the 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 election sort of has to be a. Um, a confirmation, a, a very strong confirmation that not not only that uh, Putin, uh, you know, still enjoys the um, uh, the support of a large majority of Russians, but also that his politics enjoys uh, the uh, the support of a large majority of Russians, and that and those politics is like however you want to paint it. Uh, again, the Kremlin will not probably not uh, put the war front and center in the campaign, but uh, the but but the current status quo, whereby uh, you know the, the 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 war as a conflict between Russia and the West will certainly be there in the background. The fact that uh, um, uh, that. Uh, 
because of this conflict, uh, Russians have to uh, sort of endure uh, certain kinds of hardship, but at the same time, they uh, they uh, need to, they they have the um, sort of the material wealth to rely on uh, to sort of make your to make their lives uh, seem normal while the war lasts. So this is a I think this is a uh, this is a, a difficult question, a difficult riddle to solve, and, and I, I'm not saying that it's uh, that it's, it's impossible to solve, especially with the administrative and media control that the Kremlin has. I'm just saying that uh, you have to uh, deal with a lot of contradicting narratives because um, showing the support, uh, showing this popular support for the war, is key not only for the domestic elites or for, or, and, and probably not even for, 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 for uh, uh, voters, um, but uh, it, it, it also is a, a way of Putin to argue that Russia is ready to fight a long war. So when we look at 2024, we are obviously now focusing on the March 2024 presidential election in Russia, but we also need to focus on the other elections that will take place in 2024. And um, it, you know, currently, uh, the as long as the Kremlin's narrative is that the only thing standing between Russia and victory in Ukraine is basically Western support to the Ukrainian side, then these elections are linked. It's, uh, it will not be over in March 2024 for Putin. Like it, 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 the, the election uh, needs to carry from his perspective the message that the war is what, uh, what if, 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 if not what Russians want, but uh, but it is something that they can live with for a fairly long time. So. Um, Domestically, uh, in order to maintain this support, uh, Putin needs to maintain belief uh, that maintain the belief that victory is just around the corner. Uh, and internationally, he needs to maintain the belief that uh, Russia is determined to wage a long war. These are not necessarily, again, these are not necessarily contradicting narratives, but they are difficult to square with each other. So. Um, it, that, so I think uh, the war cannot be entirely avoided. At least the uh, the secondary effects of it uh, have to be talked about, have to be uh, explained uh, to uh, the, the war itself. The narrative has to be explained to uh, the Russian population uh, because the support that uh, the Kremlin engineers in these elections has to be um, large enough uh, so that it leaves no doubt that uh, uh, there is currently no domestic political alternative for Putin. And this does not uh, mean that uh, the Kremlin is going to try to uh, fight this campaign, campaign, like we're going to engineer this campaign or stage this campaign on an enthusiastically pro-war agenda. Uh, I don't think that... Uh, based on what we know about the attitudes, the changing attitudes of the um, Russian population would work. But it does mean that uh, the war cannot be 
completely exempt. So uh, what will be exempt from the campaign or what the Kremlin is going to try to keep uh, exempt from the campaign is uh, our mobilization and the potential second round of mobilization that might still come after the 2024 election. Um, and uh, any kind of uh, battlefield uh, failures and Ukrainian victories that happen between now and uh, uh, March 2024. Those are, the, as, as far as I can see, the two things that can uh, really um, change the, um, uh, the, the, the conversation and could force the Kremlin to sort of uh, uh, react to, uh, to, to events that it did not plan to react to or it does not want to react to. Uh, as regards the domestic secondary effects of the war, uh, be they economic or social, uh, I think they have a script for that uh, and, uh, and, and they are going to play by that script. All right, thanks very much. And um, yeah, that, that certainly makes sense uh, that, you know, I guess from, from the Kremlin's point of view, Obviously, they would want to take more territory, but maybe uh, in terms of the election, um, all, all they need is to not not suffer some some you know really noticeable uh, defeat or, or loss or, or, or major setback in the war. You know, they did suffer; uh, they have suffered several of those uh, since the full scale invasion. Um, but, um, you know, lately there's been talk of a stalemate, um, you know, and there haven't been huge uh, Ukrainian gains. So it seems like uh, the way it stands now is, you know, would be fine for the Kremlin. Um, I wanted to ask, um, just sort of go back to to one thing you mentioned uh, and and just ask a question about how it's going to or, or what the role in, in the election uh, is. Uh, you, you know, you mentioned the the ruling, um, I guess it was on Friday, um, in which the Moscow court went with prosecutors as they as they almost always do, and declared the what what they called the LGBT movement um, a an extremist group. Now, of course, this you know this. It would be one thing if they said, you know, that the LGBT rights, uh, you know, activism or something like that. But of course, the LGBT movement does not exist, um, you know, as a uh, as an entity. Um, and I guess the, uh, you know, many observers have have pointed out that this, you know, leaves room for a lot of of persecution and prosecution, uh, just for. And of course, and we have seen uh, that there were raids on on clubs um, over the weekend. So, but but my question is, um, you know, obviously that fits into this kind of uh, campaign to show that Russia is um, fighting against the West in, in kind of a uh, cultural and, and moral battle. Um, and there's also a lot of talk about. You know, moves against abortion, um, but uh, so my question is: to, to what degree do you do you think that these these moves um, against the LGBT community and and against abortion, I guess, 
are really sort of part of the presidential campaign, or is it something that's just you know happens to be happening at the at the same time that 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 Russia is gearing up for this campaign? And I think they they are absolutely part of this campaign. So um, <clears throat> it's uh, you know I, I'm not I'm not saying that Putin is offering a uh, a political vision or an ideology. I don't think that's what we're seeing. Mm-hmm. I think what we're seeing is 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 an attempt to influence what is uh, inside what is inside people's heads. Uh, I uh, the, the the things that you have that you have mentioned. I can uh, again. If you separate uh, for, for for a moment uh, the LGBT, the anti-LGBTQ wave and the uh, pro-abortion, uh, sorry, the anti-abortion wave of uh, public discourse, um, I think one of these issues is of course more uh, like has more practical uh, implications for Russia than the other, uh, but uh, you know given Russia's demographics, yeah, uh, but. Um, but I think in both cases, what we're seeing, what we're seeing is uh, uh, that the, the, neither of these are particularly important issues in Russia for Russian voters. It's not. Uh, it, this is not. Uh, uh, you know, the LGBTQ uh, uh, issues uh, may be uh, things that people in cities. Uh, uh, think about every once in a while but uh it's not something that keeps them awake at night and neither is abortion uh, however by uh intentionally talking about it and ramping up the rhetoric um they can uh, distract attention away from more sort of bread and butter problems i'm not saying that this is going to be a hundred percent effective mm-hmm. but uh but but we see uh, and this is and and, and neither and, and and neither are they, sorry, nor are they uh, uh, completely characteristic of Russia only. We see uh, such tactics in other countries. It's just, you know, the, the question is how far uh, uh, those, uh, how far a political establishment is going to go or can afford to go uh, before, uh, you know, finding uh, itself uh, um, uh, Sort of with a either a popular backlash or an international backlash, and I don't think that currently uh, the Russian government is, uh, is 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 afraid of either. So they can go pretty far, and um, uh, so these are attempts to shape the conversation, to uh, shape what people are, what people are thinking about. At least some of them, not everyone is of course going to be uh, furiously uh, thinking about either abortion or uh, LGBTQ rights. Uh, in Russia, but uh, it will uh, impact the conversation just like, uh, you know, the the, the whole framing of uh, the the war as a uh, grand conflict between Russia and the West uh, also impacts the conversation of how how people think about, um, about their current situation and whom they allocate blames to. And, uh, and 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 in general, but they get outraged by. So uh, I believe that's what we're seeing. I don't think that this is, you know, in any uh, uh, in any sense a, a genuine uh, sort of uh, ideological offer to the Russian voters. Um, which, by the way, um, 
also underlines one important thing about the the election itself and the uh, and, and how the results will have to be interpreted is that uh, I have mentioned both in the case of the war and in the case of Putin that uh, the that the support that we see is not necessarily overlapping, but in in many but but in both cases, I think what they share is that there's a lot of shallow support. Uh, people who say, for instance, that they support Putin, not because they enthusiastically support Putin, but because uh, he's the incumbent or because there is no alternative, no visible alternative to Putin. Um, and the same same thing is true for the war. As long as uh, there is no visible alternative to the war, uh, because the uh, because either because the Kremlin has succeeded in framing it as such, or because uh, people simply see no um, future in which um, you know all the um, sacrifices that they were forced to make uh, for Putin's military campaign uh, will pay some dividends. Because uh, you know after the war they are going to lose the territories, they are going to uh, remain uh, economically isolated, and so on. So uh, that can easily produce uh, a way of thinking in which people are not enthusiastic supporters, but they also don't think any uh, better alternative. So the so the support is, uh, is is relatively shallow, and from and 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 I think probably the core question of the election for Putin and for uh, anyone domestic involved in R Russian domestic politics is whether either before the election or after the election, uh, something will come to, uh, some, some external uh, stimul uh, stimulus will come to um, effectively ch challenge this sort of shallow support. So we talked about Ukrainian military successes, we talked about the uh, mobilization. So as long as super support is this shallow and as long as it is obvious uh, that the election engineered from this shallow support some kind of grand but obviously or to most people obviously um, phony uh, acclamation of support then the results are going to the threshold of challenging these results or disputing these results uh, post-election also drops so it, it is going to be easier to to say well uh, that uh, in case of another, uh, uh, in case of in case of one in case of a uh, an external shock to the system post-election, that that look, yes, Putin got seventy eighty percent, but we know we all know that most of that was fake. That most of that was not genuine. Uh, so I think this is the this is probably what concerns to bring it back to your initial question. When it comes to the results, I think this is the part that uh, may concern the Kremlin because if you remember in 2018, Putin was reelected with more than 70% of, of support, and then just a couple of months later, uh, the his government's decision to uh, uh, to to enact a very unpopular pension reform mm -hmm. caused uh, protests and caused uh, his and his government's uh, popularity to drop. So from this perspective, the election 
uh, is a point in time, but uh, the this the shallowness of the support and the potential challenges to it remain. Ah, oh, that's that's fascinating. I mean, I think uh, so. It's kind of like it's a it's a foregone conclusion, but it will be fragile in, in almost any in almost any circumstances in terms of you know if something uh, if something happens, let's say uh, and. Uh, yeah, and and uh, good to mention the the protests um, that are probably still on Russia's mind or on the Kremlin's mind against the after the um, or amid and after the pension reform in which uh, retirement age was was increased. Um, all right, uh, on that note, Andasha, I'm going to wrap it up, uh, and I thank you very much for joining me. Thank you very much for having me. All right. Once again, I've been speaking to Andras Tatsifra, a New York-based political analyst who is a fellow with the Eurasia Program of the Foreign Policy Research Institute, or FPRI, where he has a report coming out soon on some of the issues that we have discussed. Uh, Andras is also a regular contributor to FPRI's Bear Market Brief. And my name is Steve Gutterman, editor for Russia, Ukraine, and Belarus in the Central Newsroom at RFERL. This has been The Week Ahead in Russia. Our theme music is Nyestrelai, or Don't Shoot, a song from the early 1980s by Yuri Shevchuk and DDT. Please be sure to check out my newsletter, The Week in Russia, which covers the latest developments in Russian politics and society, as well as Moscow's invasion of Ukraine. Subscribe by visiting www.rferl.org.